in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. I'm going to give you one guess. We're starting the Gospel of Mark. You get one guess as to what we titled the whole sermon series. One guess. Big hint on stage. What do you think we called it? Say what now? Jesus saves. Does he? He does. He does. And I would invite you, not right now, but at the end of the service, you come up. If you stand right here, you can take the greatest selfie that you'll ever take in your life in front of that. You post to Instagram if you're on there. If you're not, that's cool too. You tell them where you heard about it. Jesus saves. We're starting that new series today. This is week one of the Gospel of Mark. Gospel of Mark's a, a short book, but it's not an abridged book, that's for sure. We're going to be in this for a lot of weeks, a lot of weeks. So just get used to hearing about the Gospel of Mark. In fact, I, I, I would anticipate that we'll be in this book for about 55 weeks, give or take. You know, we got Christmas in there, not, not the one in the parking lot, but Christmas is in there. But what we're going to do is walk through verse by verse through the book of Mark. There's not a ton of verses, but there's enough. Mark's a wonderful little quick book. I already said that. It's one of the Gospels. Uh, anybody want to do a quiz? What are the other ones? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's it. There's four. Who is Mark? You don't hear a lot about Mark. Not me. I hear a lot about me. But you don't hear a lot about Mark. This isn't my book. You don't hear a lot about Mark. But, but he is most likely, okay, most likely the amenuensis for Peter. You got that? You like that big word? Every once in a while, i got to prove to you guys I went to seminary. You know what I mean? Every once in a while, i gotta, I got to throw a little word out. And I'm like, did I say that right? Emmanuel. i got it written out. Here's what that means. He wrote down what Peter said. So this is potentially Peter's gospel, which when you read it and hear it, that will make sense to you. Because Peter's fast. He gets to it. And I suppose somewhere along the line when they uh, were you know, uh, rotating the book through the, the towns and the areas, his name got attached to it. Lucky him, right? I mean, if I was the one writing it down somewhere in there, I'd be like, and Mark wrote the, you know. So you'll hear me say, as we preach through this, Mark says this, Mark says that. It's just guys so easy to say that rather than potentially Peter said this or it could have been like, let's just, let's just cut through that, right? Here is some really cool things about Mark. It's the shortest of the gospels, but it's not an abridged. It's short because it's quick. It's action-packed, uh, fast-paced. You'll, you'll hear the word immediately around 40 times in the book of Mark. Normally, it's with an and. So it's like, and immediately they went, or and immediately this happened. So we don't get a bunch of flowery language around it because action is driving this book. So we're intentionally taking a fast-paced book and slowing it down so that we can hear it a little quicker. Mark focuses more time on the stories of Jesus rather than the teachings of Jesus. That's why it's great that we have four Gospels, because we get a, a little quick hit of a story, but we can then go over to Matthew or Luke or John and kind of fill in the, uh, you know, the accoutrements that are around a story like that. That's right. I said accoutrements. Been in India, guys. In India... I have to say one sentence and then wait. Here, I'm like, I just say whatever I want. And if they speak English, they'll get it. And some of you are like, I, you, I speak English, I still don't understand you. I get it, I get it, I'm from Kentucky. So uh, I had to work that in. The book is about this. Here's what it's about. 
Jesus doing. Jesus doing. The grand theme of this book is this right here. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. And if you've been at Montgomeryville, Keystone Montgomeryville for this year, what did we learn about for 14, 15, 16 weeks? That we are always looking for what? A savior, a hero. And we found out that everyone that we think we find turns out they're broken. And so in many ways, this is an unofficial sequel to Judges. Because it's like, I've been looking, I've been looking, I've been looking for a savior. Where can I find it? How does Judges end? It ends with the New Testament. Jesus is here. Jesus saves. And so a year ago, when I began praying through the book of Mark, I even wrote on page one. I don't have it up here with me. I can show you. Jesus saves. That's what this is about. And I knew that going into Judges, that we're going to be looking and looking and looking for somebody to save us. You may be here and you're like, I don't need saved. Then you're looking for it in the wrong place. Everyone is looking for something to save them. And I'm telling you, we could save ourselves 55 weeks if we could just get those two words down and apply them to our life. And then it'd be like, man, this is how he saves. This is beautiful how this works out. So Jesus saves. Say it with me. Jesus You know you're going to be repeating that a lot for the next year with me up here. Solomon nailed this down for us thousands of years ago because when we read Judges and you read someone like Solomon, you're like, man, it seems like nobody ever changes or it seems like there's nothing new to be done. It seems like we are just like everybody else. And so in Ecclesiastes, Solomon wrote this, and I, didn't, I don't think I turned this verse in. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. You say, what am I supposed to make of that? Here's what it means. Everybody's looking for a savior, a hero, something to deliver them. And we know that. We know people, even today, just like 4,000 years ago, were looking and hoping and wanting somebody to either redeem them, restore them, make them whole again. What could it be? Jesus saves. So I'm excited. I think it's obvious. I hope you're excited. Here's our passage for today, Mark 1, 1 through 8. I'm going to read it all, and then we'll kind of break it down. Not a ton of points today, just one over and over and over. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I'm in verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Verse 4, John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him or being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair. Anybody here clothed with camel's hair this morning? No, not, not a lot of that going on. And wore a leather belt. Check around his waist, and ate locusts with wild honey. Not what I had for breakfast. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I've baptized you with waters, John speaking, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Who wants that? I do, man. I told you, Mark wastes no time. Very quick. He jumps right in. The other gospels, what do you get? You get a Christmas story. 
You get like four chapters of Mary and Joseph. And they're all good. I like that. Going to Bethlehem. You get genealogies, long lists of names. Not Mark. Not Mark. What does he say? He says basically this. The Savior you've been looking for is here. So he says. He cuts right to it. The Savior you've been looking for is here. Verse 1 again. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Who thinks that's blunt? Who thinks that's in your face? Who thinks this is in your face? It's designed that way, guys. I like it. I like it. You know why? Because we live in an in-your-face culture. Do we not? Oh, we do. Everybody's in your face. It's our turn. But let's make sure when we're in your face that we're in your face with the right stuff. That the right thing we're putting in your face is the thing. Not just the loudest. I'm the loudest right now because I got a microphone. But that doesn't make me right. This is what makes me right. Because I live in an in-your-face culture. All of us do. I bet somebody this week was in your face about something. Anybody? Did anybody just get up in your face about something this week? And what did you want to do as a human? Get back in their face. I'm going to show you how right I am and how wrong you are. And then what do you got to do? Uh, then you got to spend the rest of the week, like, calling them and apologizing. <laughs> I'm sorry. Our culture is kind of like this. On the one hand, we, we like that we want to be sensitive, and, and I get that, and we want to be sensitive to other people's thoughts and other people's needs and, and other people's, like, background. I love that. But then uh, the same culture that wants that also wants to be completely in your face and completely throw out all that stuff. Is anybody totally confused all the time about that? Like, I don't even know the game anymore. And they're like, this isn't a game. It's like, I know, it's just a saying that we say. Well, you're not allowed to say that. I know, but like my upbringing, we did say that. Well, it doesn't matter, but it does. Okay, I don't know what to do. (laughs) And for me, who just talks a lot, it's really hard, (laughs) okay? The latter, of course, is, is the action that Mark is taking. And he is saying right out of the gate two very important things. Jesus is the Christ. That's what that means. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ wasn't Jesus' last name. That is what he is. Jesus is the Christ. And then he says, Jesus is the son of God. Right out of the gate. No 400 word essay on Bethlehem and the manger. Jesus is the Christ. That means Jesus is an anointed royal figure. He is the Messiah. Another way of saying that is Jesus saves. Jesus saves. That's what that means. When we say Jesus is the Christ, what we're saying is Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one who saves. He is the one you've been looking for. And guess what? Look around this room. He chose people like you and me to tell everybody that. He He didn't choose us just to live like everybody else. And every once in a while you figure out, Darn, I'm just like everybody else. I did that just like everybody else would have done that. But because Jesus is the Christ, I can go to him and say, God, I'm sorry. I repent and I believe. The one you've been looking for is here. The one who's going to rescue you from all your troubles and all your sin and all your doom and all your gloom is here. You guys have troubles? Anybody got doom and gloom in their life? I guarantee if I was to sit down with just a random five of you, we would find doom and gloom somewhere in your last 12 days. Guarantee it. 
And Mark, right out of the gate, is saying, Jesus saves. He's the one you want to hitch your cart to. Then he says, Jesus is the Son of God. Like, I thought Jesus is Messiah is a pretty big deal. He's also the Son of God. He's pointing that out. That's kind of a big deal. Do you guys know that's a big deal? That's a big deal. This is an extremely bold, in-your-face statement. You're telling me Jesus saves and he's the Son of God? Yes. Here's what it means in our terms. Jesus is God. The only God. You say, well, lots of cultures have God. Yes, they do. Guess what? He's the only one. He's the only real God. I spent 10 days in a culture where everywhere you look, there's a God. And then I came back to this culture, and guess what? Everywhere I look, there's a God. It just looks a little different. Jesus is God, and Mark is priming us like, like a starting block. Man, he is like, I'm not going to do it because I might not be able to get back up. But like, he is like, on it. we are ready. Toe, fingers on the line, waiting. Boom, it's going to go. I took the uh, pastor privilege here and translated in my own text the first two verses. Are you ready? This is good. It's the Appalachian Standard Version. Uh, <laughs> this, is, this is, here we go. I need some work. This is the good news. You're about to hear about the king who comes to save his people. And you could be his people. So stop messing around looking for saviors in other places and being miserable all the time. Because he's here and he's on a mission to save. That's first draft. I could work on that and edit that, but you get my point. This is an unprecedented moment in history that we aren't witnessing. We're living in. We are witnessing it, but it's already occurred. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus saves. So I'm just asking you because I love you and I hope you love me, but what other thing have you been putting on this line in your life? Do you have anything? Let's holler out some things. Maybe they're not your thing. But what are some things that you have seen? Our culture, talking about us, uses, not the people you've never met that you know on Facebook. I'm talking about our people. What do we tend to put on that line instead of Jesus? Money. That's what I wrote down. Money. Good works. Myself. Power. People. My government will say, nobody writes that. Nobody writes that. <laughs> You're like, mm, I don't think so. Maybe a while back, but not like 20 years ago yet. Sure, I don't know. Not now. Jesus is the only thing that deserves a spot on that line. Jesus saves. When you take his name off and put anything else there, it may initially feel really good. It may even feel like it's saving you. It will eventually turn into misery. My relationships will save me. My, my upbringing will save me. Where I was born will save me. My education will save me. For a little while, maybe. Eventually, it won't. And the Savior you've been looking for, Mark would say, is here. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's what you're going to hear. Good news. 16 chapters of great news about how much Jesus saves. And then he goes on in verse 2. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet. So he's quoting a passage here. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. We all know who they're talking about here, right? 
This is a callback to the promise of God. <clears throat> a callback to the promise of God that he will send someone with good news. Where was the promise made? Quiz time. Where was that promise made? Go to Gen All my answers are normally in Genesis, okay? It's in the garden. Remember, you guys remember when Adam and Eve blew it for all of us? And now we get old and, and gain weight and, and our, our hair turns. You remember that? You remember that? I'm still upset over it. But, but they made a promise in the garden. And what was the promise? I will send someone to make all of this right. And so for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, they looked for the promise. And then Jesus came. He is the promise. And so when Mark is saying, the prophet even told you this, Behold, I'll send a messenger before your face, the voice of the one. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make his paths straight. He is saying, don't forget that Jesus is promised. And when God makes a promise, he delivers. Do you like it when someone makes a promise and delivers? They deliver on their promise, right? I promise, I deliver. Does it always happen on your timetable? Has anybody ever had a promise that didn't deliver? Like Amazon, right? You said two days. Well, we don't count Sunday. That's a day. Then don't say two days. Say three days. Nobody else has beef with Amazon over this? Man, I ordered something for Billy, and it said, we promise. Like, that's how I took it. Like, it's very biblical for me. We promise to have that there by this day. Well, guess what? Didn't come. Then a couple days went by. Still wasn't there. I'm tracking it. And then they said, we think we've lost your order. You made a promise you didn't deliver. So you know what I did? I canceled it. And I ordered the same thing again. And it got there in two days. And then about a week later, the other thing came. And I was in a dilemma. I got two of those things now. <laughs> they told me to keep it. But what do you think about when you think God made a promise? God delivers on his promise. When you hear that Jesus was prepared for, that he was promised, like, what do you think of? Some of you may remember when you got saved, as they say. When you became a Jesus follower, when he saved you from your sin. A time when God sent maybe a messenger. Now, I know we're talking specifically here about John the Baptist, but every single one of you, someone told you about Jesus. Whether it was in a book or at a Billy Graham crusade or at a, at a right here or in a, in a community group. Someone told you about Jesus. Do you remember that moment? Because that is sort of kind of my takeaway for this. To be clear again, this is about John the Baptist, a prophet, and we'll hear about him in a moment. But who is God right now using in your life to show you and prepare the introduction of Jesus? Might be me. God might be using me in your life right now to show you about Jesus. God might be using that person next to you. God might be using somebody that shared this link with you and you're watching online and you're like, I, I, okay, I think I can do this. God is always, always preparing the way for Jesus in our lives because he knows, he knows that the Savior you've been looking for is here. And his name is Jesus. Here's what I hear. Here's why I love being a part of this church. I tell everybody, this is a church I'd go to even if I didn't work here. 
I would go to this church because I hear things like this. Yes, people, people last week became believers in our service, but here's what I hear a lot. My friend invited me to a community group, and I, and I became a Jesus follower there. I got saved at a community group. That's awesome. Or I was looking for a way out of my situation, and I found myself in one of your church services, and God spoke to me through somebody on stage or through a song, and I gave my life to Christ. Do you ever hear stories like that? I do. Or I hear this, I didn't know what to do, so I prayed with someone from your church, and they went through the bridge thing with me, and I became a believer. Do you guys hear those stories? I hear them all the time. You say, those are pretty nondescript. Well, because not everybody wants to be one of my illustrations, okay? Like, like, I could be very specific. Everything's game, though. You tell me something. It might end up up here. But I'm just saying, I hear these things all the time because God is always, always, always preparing the way for Jesus. Why? Because he made a promise. And he's always delivering on that promise. He did so in a historical concept uh, context. We see that through Mark. But don't ever think, don't ever think that he is still not preparing. He is. He is preparing to deliver that promise straight to you. Do you believe that? I believe it. He's always doing that. He's doing so with the church, and this is a big deal because Jesus saves still. In this in-your-face society we're in, I think it's perfectly normal to say it out loud from the rooftops with joy and grace. Jesus saves. The Savior you've been looking for is here. All right, verse 4. John appeared, that's John the Baptist, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. I told you, fast-paced book. We're 57 words into this book, and we have these three things. The king is here, you knew he was coming, and the prophet told you so. 57 words in. Matthew wouldn't even be through the second generation yet. We'd still be figuring out who Rahab is. You know, it's like, what? Like, who's this John the Baptist guy? Is that his last name? John the Baptist? <laughs> it's, it's not. <laughs> I don't know what his last name would be. Hey, Uncle John, John White. I don't think that's it, though. John the Baptist. He was, he was a bit of a celebrity in his day. You can see why. A little eccentric. Nothing new. Uh, crowds would go out to see him and hear him. He was speaking something they hadn't heard about in a long, long time, this promise. Maybe they'd even forgotten about the promise a little bit, but they wanted to know, like, they want to know more of this person you're talking about who's coming. So why was their interest so piqued? Because that, that time period was not in, like, a prophet time period. They, they really hadn't gotten any prophecy, no Bible, no, no Isaiah type stuff, no Jonah type stuff for 400 years. And so it was a society that was used to hearing a lot of that, or at least hearing about it. It wasn't always to the same people. You know that. The Old Testament spans a lot of generations and a lot of geography, but they were at least used to a constant stream of hearing what God was doing. And then all of a sudden, for 400 years, they hadn't really heard much. Now they had the, the text, they could read it, but they hadn't gotten new revelation. So in our context, that'd be like if we hadn't heard or, or seen anything new since like the Mayflower arrived in America at 1620-ish, you know? Like that's a long time. So when someone appeared and they're like, oh wait, that, that kind of sort of looks like the guy Isaiah was talking about. And he's talking about something very special. Like they began to pay attention. They were interested in what he had to say. Because remember, this generation, this group of people had been looking for this promise their whole life. Just like some of you. You've been looking for this promise your whole life. 
and you've been hearing it from a lot of different places, and then maybe like a day like today, you're like, oh, this is the one I've been looking for. Maybe just maybe I should sit up on my seat a little bit and put my phone away and, and listen. Not have another window open while I'm watching this online. I can update what food I'm eating later or look at someone else's vacation pictures at another time. Like I, I need to like perk up a little bit. Now, now John the Baptist, he, he had a pretty interesting family. His cousin was Jesus. Anybody in here got a cousin like Jesus? <laughs> That'd be tough, family get-togethers. Who broke the vase? Darn. You know it wasn't Jesus. If he did break it, you know he'd tell the truth. His entire life, though, his entire life, John the Baptist, his entire life was spent preparing the way for the ministry of Jesus. It says that all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him, were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, John, and it tells what he's wearing. We, we covered that. Camel's hair, belt, ate honey, locusts, weird stuff like that. So, so what do you think, if you're John the Baptist and you've got a crowd, what do you think the focus of his ministry is going to be? Would it be, uh, like in today's uh, culture, would it be like, I'm going to have so many YouTube followers, we're not going to know what to do, right? Check it out. Follow, subscribe. Come, come listen to my YouTube sermons. I'm going to give you a new way of living. Maybe you'll lose some weight. You know what I mean? Like that's Or, hey, send money. Do you think he did that sort of thing? Do you think he took advantage of his celebrity stat? Send money. Send me money. I'll give you a reproduction of that camel's hair jacket I wore on my third preaching tour. Like, if you send me money. No, no, no. His whole message was the big letters that are behind me. Jesus saves. And you know people came to him and were like, John, oh, John, your message is so good. It hit me. And you know, he'd be like, stop that. Jesus saves. <laughs> John, we want to follow you. Knock it off. There's a guy coming named Jesus. I'm not even fit to tie his shoe. Because he saves. He preached that. He says, after he comes who is mightier than I, the strap of his shoe, sandal, I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, which he did, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The ultimate function of the public ministry was this, preparation through redirection. Because Jesus is the one who saves, pointing people, even us now, toward Jesus, toward Jesus. Even stuff like, hey, I mean this so much in love. The backpack drive, that's awesome. I hope we're so generous that people are like, oh my gosh, your church, they bought this, they did that. You in here, say, that's great. Thank you for saying thank you, but guess what? We did that because Jesus is generous and we love him and he loves us. He saves. Ain't nothing we did. Hey, give me the name of the person I can say thank you to. You can say thank you to Jesus. <laughs> That's who you say. And Pastor Rob for putting it together. But really, he's going to just say, go to talk to Jesus. You may have this question, because Jesus knows, right, that the Savior you've been looking for is him, right? And you may have this question, well, well how can I do that? How can I change my top line to something a little more applicable? And if we flip over to Matthew 3, 2, which we'll do in the course of the next year, we get the answer. Because John the Baptist, he said this. This was his whole sermon. It's, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, nine words. You ready? I hope I counted right. Don't count in case it's like 11. Uh, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. End of sermon. Call the worship team up, right? That's it. People will come from miles around. To hear, like, how can this Savior change my life? How can I get into God's Word? Can you help me with my prayer time? And he'd say, yeah, absolutely, repent. What else? That, no, that's it. That's it. Repent. 
okay. Jesus saves. He's the king. Repent. Okay. But what about that next part? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. What's that mean? A big takeover? We're about to get everybody in the Senate that we like? Is that what that means? We're about, are we going to get a Christian president? Is that what that means? We, everybody's going to vote the way we think they, is that what that means? It could not possibly mean that. It could not possibly mean that. What does it mean? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay, everybody here, if you got at least one hand, let me see it. Thank you. You have a question? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, one hand. That's where it is. It's that close. This is a spatial word, not a chronological word. If you had gone back, okay, if we could all jump in the, you know, the Doctor Who police box and go back 15 years or maybe further DeLorean and go back 15 years and you found me uh, being super cool 15 years ago, North Carolina, and you said, hey, where do you think the kingdom of God is? You know what I would have said? I would have said, uh, oh, yeah, that's cool. The kingdom of God, that's heaven. That's heaven. I've been right. It's not totally right. I, I would have said, yeah, that's like, uh, you know, where God is and then kingdom, heaven, heaven falls down and glory fills the world. That's, that's common. But that's, that's where that is. And I was right, but not totally right, because that's not, that's not just like the only place that the king is ruling. And, and I believe, I sort of thought this, that Jesus came to die for us and save us, and then when we die, we'll, we, like Jesus, we're going to come back to life, and, and I'll have to stay dead, and I can rule with him in his kingdom. I thought that. That's right. But now I was leaving out some bits. In other words, Jesus... I would, I would call people and say, hey, you need to give your afterlife to Jesus. And then just kind of grind it out here until heaven. Again, correct, not 100% correct. Not 100% wrong either. I'm not letting myself off the hook. And that, and that makes sense to me. But then I began to like really pray and read scripture and talk to people, new stuff. And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. The kingdom, the kingdom... When Jesus saves me, the kingdom is something I receive when I receive the king. He's not down here fighting for land. It's all his. And I read things in Psalms that were like, I own everything. Even if I did want your help, I wouldn't ask you. That's, that's us in that. You know, it's one of my favorite verses. I still haven't looked it up, but it's in Psalms, right? Like, even if I was hungry, which God will never be hungry, but he, he says, even if I was hungry, wouldn't ask you for something. Every bit of this is his. We're not fighting for land. Every bit of this is his. I was reading this story uh, a couple weeks ago, and <laughs> it was about the Civil War, right? I have an interest in that. Kentucky was a swing state. Uh, it's important for me to note. We weren't with the north, we weren't with the south either. That's important to me if you know that. And I was thinking through this. It was like, here was how, here's one of the greatest little tidbits in the Civil War people don't know. Uh, when, when the south seceded, when they left the, the, the Union, became the Confederate States of America, the north went on a political gambit, and they got every foreign entity in the world to not recognize them as a nation. So no matter what the outcome is, they weren't a real kingdom. We sometimes treat God's kingdom like that. I got my own little kingdom. And God's kingdom's all around it. And I can just kind of do what I want to do in my kingdom. Well, guess what? The real kingdom knows that no one thinks you have a real kingdom. You saying you have a kingdom doesn't make you have a kingdom. It'd be like me saying, hey, as of today, as of today, I'm the king of England. 
Do you think over there in England right now, they're like, hey, guys, new king, get that chair out. Get that coronation chair out. We got a guy who says he's, no, doesn't mean a thing. So when we say, oh, oh, but get this, though. With, with, when I become, when Jesus saves me, when I become a Christian, guess what? I become part of his kingdom, and I see it, and I understand it. And with that comes power and authority over the false kingdom. So I don't necessarily have to get who I want into what position or whatever. Like, it's not like a GM. I'm not the GM of God's kingdom. If we could just get better pitching at the White House. No, guess what? God is the king. He's not up for election. This is not a, a vote for Jesus flag. He is the king. Whether we say he is or not, he is the king. And the message of John and us is this. Repent. Because the kingdom of heaven is right here. It's right in front of you. The kingdom is something you receive when you receive the king. And with that comes power and authority over the false kingdom that the enemy is constantly, constantly presenting to you. He's presenting it to you right now as you listen. And part of the problem is the way we think. That's why we said our phrase for this year is going to be what? Beat back hell. Beat back hell. Bring heaven down. That's a thinking statement. It's probably going to be our statement for next year too. I like it. And as you come to Jesus, you'll find that he is constantly restoring your thinking to think like him. Creation wasn't a big gardening experiment. God was establishing a kingdom. And he gave dominion to Adam and Eve. They blew it. They blew it. And when the fall occurred, though, it didn't ruin his plan. He didn't say, oh, I got, I got punched. I fell back. No, we still have authority over this world, and it's rooted in our identity because Jesus saves and he's the king. So are you doing that? Are you establishing that over the, the parts of the kingdom that God has given you? No, we're stewards. None of this is ours. I don't own it. I get to steward it. I'm going to have to skip some stuff. Nah, let's go on. Our Father, get this, Matthew 6. Our Father, this is good, guys. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's why we can't skip this, because this is how you think different. This is how you think different. You say, you're, you're saying, I want my will to be the same as what your will is. I want what you want. So I'm always in a constant state of choosing, will I serve my kingdom or will I serve your kingdom? The kingdom is here and you can experience it because the savior you've been looking for is Jesus. He's Jesus. So here's our question for the day. You ready? I've, been, I've already read you the answer, but are you ready? How, how, how do I gain access to the king? How do I gain access into the kingdom? Because one does not simply walk into the kingdom, right? <laughs> like, how do I gain access to the king? The Baptist told you. You repent. You believe. If we skip over to verse 14, and we'll cover the parts we skip next week, I promise. But if we skip over those and just... And just hit this, you'll find that after John was arrested, you knew he'd be arrested. You can't just go around saying stuff like that. Some of you might get arrested someday for saying stuff like that. 
Some of our friends in India will be arrested for saying stuff like this. There's people all over the world that are arrested for saying stuff like that. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. So see, their message was no different. Repent and believe in the gospel. You remember, this is all about the good news. Repent and believe in what? That Jesus is the king. That he's the Messiah. That he is the one you've been looking for. Repent for that. And repent, we know. Repent means a couple things. It means I'm headed one way and I repent. So what do I do? I turn around and I go the other way. But it also means I repent for the way I've been thinking. I repent for having hell thinking. I think differently. I change the way I think. He even says that. I go from unbelief to belief. That's a thinking action. I go from not believing to believing. So yeah, I stop doing some things, but I'm not going to stop really stop doing them unless I start thinking differently. Namely, that he's the king. I change the process in my mind. I, I used to look at it like this, but now I see it like this. And yeah, I still make mistakes. I still sin. But you know what? I don't want to do that. So we had to read, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, the kingdom come, that will be done. I want your will to be my will. So yeah, I misstep. I do that. I broke that. I did this. But guess what? I don't think about that any differently. I think about it differently now. If we're not careful, we'll think that what Jesus is saying is that, well, he's a coming, so you better shape up. <laughs> you better shape up. Dad's coming. Mom will be home from work in 30 minutes. You better, you better clean your room. That is not what he's saying. He's saying the kingdom is here right now. And if there's one thing you've learned at Keystone Montgomeryville with me over the years, it's this. God loves me because he loves me. Not because I have to shape up. Not because of what I bring to the team. He loves me because he loves me. And so what he's saying is look around you. The kingdom is right here. And John is inviting people to do that. And, and the writer of Mark is going to continually do that for 16 chapters. He's going to say, have a look. The king is here. He is here. And Jesus would go on and spend his entire ministry focused on that. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is here because he loves you. He loves you. So the Savior you've been looking for is here. Jesus saves. Today is the day that you get to choose. Do I want to believe that or not? And if our worship team would come up, I'm just going to walk you through this and I'll be done. The great news is this. The Bible over and over and over says this is attainable. We're like, well, how do we do it? We have great, great passages in the Bible that say things like, if I ask for forgiveness, God will give it to me. If I repent, he'll receive it. That he'll take all my unrighteousness and put his righteousness on me. That Jesus in 16 chapters will die on a cross for me. Because I can't do it on my own. I need the Messiah. And so God did send his son Jesus and, and he was without sin and, and he became my sin and he died on the cross. He died my death on the cross. He took my place. And the Bible says if I put my faith and my trust and my hope and basically everything I can put on Jesus because he saves. And here's how I do it. You're just going to pray with me right now. And if this is what you'd like to do, you're like, man, oh man, I've been looking for this Savior. How do I do it? Here's what you do. You, you talk to Jesus. You say, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I believe that you came in humility for me. 
I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose from the dead. Come into my life. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Save me. From this day forward, I will follow you. And I will be a part of the kingdom of God right now. In your son Jesus' name, amen.